17 this morning. We've been studying the life of Elijah. And today it just so happens that we've come to a very apropos story from his life. And to this morning, if the Lord's willing, I'm going to preach a sermon on Mama Needs a Miracle. How many of you ever need a miracle, ladies? There you go. So we're going to talk about Mama Needs a Miracle. You got your Bible open to 17? Look down to verse 17. Now, I'd like for you to stand with me as I read God's Word this morning, and I'll read it quickly. Bible says in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and the sickness was so sore there was no breath left in him. And he said unto Elijah, What have I do to the, have to do with thee, thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call to my sin to remembrance, to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And they took him out of her bosom, carried him into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. And Elijah cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou brought evil upon this widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times. And cried unto the Lord God and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul, soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him out of the chamber into the house, delivered him unto his mother, and Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. The woman said to Elijah, Now by this, I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Be seated. In our study, as we've made our way along the path with Elijah, we went first of all to Cherith. You'll remember that Cherith was a place, the word means a cutting down. It seems that God cut Elijah down to size at Cherith. There he sat for approximately a year by the brook Cherith. And the Bible said every morning and every evening, the ravens would bring his morsel of food to him. And then the Bible says, and the brook dried up. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the second time and said, Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. It was about a hundred mile walk. Elijah left on the other side of the Jordan, walked all the way across Israel up north around the Mediterranean between Tyre and Zidon. And there he came to the little town called Zarephath. The word Zarephath, by the way, means a smelting place. Have you ever heard the old statement, out of the frying pan, into the fire? You ever heard that before? God took him and put him out of the frying pan 
end of the fire. And as he arrived in the gate of the city, he noticed an old widow woman as she gathered sticks. And Elijah told her, he said, fetch me a morsel of bread. The Bible said as she gathered two sticks, she said, you know, I, I only have enough food for me and my son. I'm making this food and then we're going to die because there's a drought. We haven't had any rain and it hasn't rained now for about a year. And Elijah says, you do as I said. And she goes in the house. She makes him a cake. A cake was like a Oh, I know what you know that would be like that. Some of us eat cornbread, looks like flapjacks. That's what it is. And they brought him that food, and the Bible said from that time on that the jar of flour and the cruise of oil never dried up. Elijah lives there with this widow woman for two years. And somewhere after that experience, her son dies. You know, it's very interesting when you study the Bible because the Bible says, the book of Job, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. How many would agree that life tends to be full of trouble? Seems like you're either in a storm or going into a storm or coming out of a storm. But it seems like life is one storm after another. And the Bible says after two years of prosperity, after two years of having enough to eat, enough to drink, taking care of the man of God, that her son dies. James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about that experience. And, and James basically says that Trials and tribulations are multicolored. The Greek word's the idea of polka dot. It means that trials come in all shapes and all sizes. And the Bible says they go from nothing to eat to the funeral of her own son. So this morning I want to talk about this subject, Mama Needs a Miracle. And first of all, notice the calamity that the trial Produced. You remember, the first trial that she went through was the drought, and she was picking up pieces of wood, sticks, because she thought she was going to die. And now this second trial, her son actually does die. Isn't it amazing in this second trial that death becomes a reality? The Bible says, and it came to pass... After these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, she, he fell sick, and his sickness was so sore, there was no breath left in him. You see, the first trial was marked by, by poverty. The second trial is marked by calamity. Now notice what she learned through this trial. Notice the happiness that was broken by her trial. You know, you can only imagine the great happiness that this woman, a widow woman, her husband had died. She had no one to care for her. She has a young son. And for two years, God miraculously cares for her. Every day, 
She would make the man of God food and then she would make her and her son's food. And the Bible says that the jar of flour never failed one time and the cruise of oil never ran dry. And she's learned prosperity by taking care of the man of God. She has plenty to eat. She's not hungry anymore. And think about her happiness in the fact that others were starving. Others were going through a famine, but her and her son were fine. What happiness she had. But notice the trial comes and, and quickly that happiness is shattered. The Bible says her son fell sick. I think it interesting, the Bible doesn't tell you what the sickness was. Who knows what it was? I have no idea what that sickness was. But the Bible, if you read it, says his sickness was so sore. That word sore there is the idea of strong. It was so strong. It was so difficult that the Bible says there was no breath left in him. By the way, that Hebrew word there for breath, that same word all the way back in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and the Bible says he blew into his nostrils the breath, same word, the breath of life. The boy hadn't fainted. It wasn't some sort of respiratory problem. This boy had no breath in him. This boy had died. See, trials come without warning. When calamity comes into our life, many times it comes with devastating results. Isn't it amazing sometimes we wake up and the day is sunny, the day is bright. Before that day's over, it seems like it turns to night and it's dark. Isn't it amazing how quickly things can completely change? I was thinking of that passage in Luke chapter 8 when the Bible talks about the disciples in the boat there in Galilee. And the scripture says it like this. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. I mean, just as quick as you could blink your eye, all of a sudden a storm is upon them and the boat is filling with water. And the Bible says they're in jeopardy. They're about ready to die. Isn't it amazing that you can be sailing along and then all of a sudden a storm of wind can come out of nowhere? I don't know about you, but there's been a couple of times my life's been that way. Just a simple trip to the doctor. Just a, just a knock at the door. Uh, just a phone call can turn your world upside down. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, sorrows are visitors that come without an invitation. I see also a heartache that was brought by her trial. In the former trial, one quickly senses her discouragement or despair, but in this new trial, what pain, what sorrow. It makes the former trial seem almost as if it was nothing. Joy and happiness is gone. But quickly now she's buried beneath sorrow and anguish. Her son, her only son, her future is dead. You see, heartache's the companion of trials. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning. 
You see, I'm happy to say that there's joy in the morning. Weeping does endure for a night, but sometimes those nights turn into day. And Jesus tells us very clearly that there's, there's singing in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. For this widow woman who was no stranger to pain and sorrow, she lost her loved one. She'd already been a widow, but now she loses a child. By the way, it's not odd that husbands die. But it is strange when children die. Few things in life, in my opinion, are harder to deal with than the death of a child. I can't imagine anything that would cause us any quicker to ask why than the death of our own child. Many years ago, when I was a young pastor, I got a phone call, and it was from one of the local hospitals, and they said, Pastor, can you come? We've got a young couple that attend your church, and they need your help, and we want you to come as quickly as you can. I'll never forget driving over to the church or from the church over to the hospital. As I got there, they had that young couple in a consultation room. It's that room where the doctor comes out when surgery takes place and begins to explain what's gone, going on. And there, when I got into the room, the nurse got me off to the side and she said, their baby died, was stillborn. And she's holding that baby and she has for several hours. And she said, Pastor, she has to give that baby up. I went and sat down next to that little gal and her husband. I'll be really honest with you. I, I really, truly didn't know what to say. The first question out of her mouth was very similar to what the Bible says here. Pastor, did my baby die because of my sin? You see, her and that boy were promiscuous. That baby was born before either one of them had gotten married. And her question was, would God kill my baby because of my sin? Whew. I'll be real honest, that's way beyond my pay grade. There's some questions I, I have no answer for. And I remember looking at that gal that day and I began to do my best to try to explain what I thought the only answer was. Now, for those that are wondering the answer to that question, I do think it's possible for consequences of, of our life to take place because of our sin. I do believe that. If I get in my car and drive 100 miles an hour down I-65, which I've thought of doing on several occasions, <laughs> and would enjoy thoroughly, if the police pulls me over, I'm going to get a ticket. That's called a consequence, yes or no. And if I drive any faster than that and weave in and out of traffic, they may do one of those rolling roadblocks and get me to pull over or throw down strips on the, park, on, the, on the freeway so that my tires blow. Yeah, there are consequences in life. But does God 
kill an innocent child because of the sin of a mother? That's not the God I serve. My God's loving and forgiving and gracious. You can amen any of that part of that sermon you like. I hope, that's not, I hope you don't think your God goes around killing little babies. You know, I've learned that where you start into that explanation means everything. Let me explain what I'm talking about. If you start with the accident, if you start with the sickness, or if you start with the death and try to work it somehow to God, you always come up with the wrong answer. You say, Pastor, what do you do when a little baby dies? What do you do when something unexpected happened that you can't understand? If you're smart, you start with God and you think about who God is. And you work from God to the accident. You work from God to the death. If you don't keep it in that order, you always come up with a real problem. I've got to think about who God is. Let me tell you who my God is. My God loved me so much that the Bible says he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse number six and seven, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. How could you ever think that it could please God to bruise his own son because he was making himself an offering for sin? Listen, my God's a God that loves me so much that he allowed his only son to take my place on the cross and pay my sin with his own death on the cross. You say, Pastor, I could never understand that. By the way, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I've got a God that loves me unbelievably. He loves me so much that he gave his only begotten son. And this woman, she, she comes with guilt and she comes with blame. And she says, is God killing my son because something I did? And the answer to that question is no. No. Well, let's not just look at the calamity. Let's look at the anxiety that the trial prompted. Look at verse 17. Scripture says, And it came to pass after these things. Now, that, you know, I don't think there are any wasted words in the text of Scripture. After these things. You know, that's a statement of God's sovereignty. That's a statement of how wonderful and awesome our God is. After these things, what does that mean? After two years of miraculously providing for this widow woman, after two years of the oil never running dry and the flour never, ever, ever running out. You say, Pastor, what is that? Prosperity. What is that? The kindness of God. What is that? The grace of God. Hey, folks, let me be real honest with you. I don't know about you, but God's been good to me. 
I don't know about you, but most of my life, most of the time, man, God has been fantastic beyond my wildest imaginations. And you know what my problem is? Same problem you have. During times of prosperity, during times of good things, during times of God's blessing, it's easy to get complacent. Amen. Yes or no? Yes. It's easy to take good things for granted, isn't it? Yes, it is. And every once in a while, God doesn't want us to trust. Listen to this. God doesn't want us to trust his blessings. God wants us to trust the blesser. Sometimes, man, I'm rolling along and things are good. I got money in the bank. I'm eating three square a day, sometimes four. <laughs> and I mean, life is good. And then I get a phone call. And I think, oh, man. And if I'm sane and clothed and in my right mind, I run to the Lord and say, Lord, do I ever need you? I run to the Lord and I say, Lord, listen, I know I haven't been talking to you much lately because things are going so good. I know that lately you've been blessing me so much that I've kind of forgot you, but man, I'm back. Amen. Boy, you guys act like I'm the only heathen in this church. You know what trials do in my life when calamities come in my life? Man, that's the time to skedaddle to Jesus. That's the time to, man, just say, man, Lord, I'm coming back as fast as I can. I'm running as quick to your side as I can fast, fast possibly get there. Lord, listen, I've got a problem and I need your help right now. Amen. After these things, what things are they? Two years of bliss, two years of blessing, two years of everything just kind of rolling along. But she comes to Elijah, the prophet of God, and she begins to question him. Some translations say sometime later, the Hebrew leader literally says, after these things, this happened. And, and I think what the pastor is basically, or, or what the passage is basically saying is that sometimes the way God works, it's somewhat of a mystery. Amen. Tony Evans says it this way, everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God, and there is no third category. That's a hugely important statement. So many times we look at heartbreaking tragedy and we try to invent a third category and we say, man, bad things happen for no reason. No, everything happens for a reason. The timing of this deserves our attention. The boy gets sick after weeks and months of miraculous provision by God. And isn't it amazing that we can get so blinded to it that as we're somewhat surprised. God says, I'm still here. I'm still in charge. I still make the world go round. Right. 
You see, it's easy to become complacent in the midst of God's blessings. But notice the purpose of trials were questioned. The widow, as so often we do, wondered, could the death of my son be an act of punishment? Could the death of my son be because of some past sin in my life? By the way, that's exactly what Job's friends thought. Job has all these calamities happen to him. They come, the Bible said, they set astonished for seven days. And then each one in turn, four of them get up and basically say the same thing. Undoubtedly, this happened, Job, because you are a sinner. God, is this happening because I did something wrong? Did this happen because of some sin in the past? What have I done to displease you, God? Why do I deserve this, God? Why have you done this, God? She felt guilt. But notice she also has blame. Look at what she says to Elijah. She lashes out at Elijah and says, Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my sin? By the way, folks, this is worth writing down, not because I thought it up, because it's true. Trials will make you better or bitter. We can't blame ourselves and others and even God, but we do. Well, if you hadn't have done that, this wouldn't have happened to me. In her moment of grief, she forgets what God has done for her through Elijah for the past two years, and now she blames the man of God. Notice quickly, verse number 19, Scripture says, And he said unto her, Give me your son. And he took her out of her bosom and carried him up the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And notice Elijah falls into it too. He's blaming God. Look what he says. And he cried unto the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, my God. Has thou brought evil upon the widow for whom I sojourn by the slaying of her son? Isn't that an amazing concept. God, she's been good to me. How could you do this to her? For just a moment, Elijah couldn't see how the death of this son could be good or right. Lord, what's the profit? Where's the benefit in what you're doing? Can I, can I help you with a verse you've heard your whole life? 
Can I remind you of Romans 8, 28, where it says we know that all things work together for good? To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Can I remind you about God? The Bible says in Psalm 86 and verse 10, the Bible says about the psalmist, it says, for thou art great and you do wondrous things, thou art God alone. Folks, listen to me this morning. He praised God for who he is and for what he does. But listen to Psalm 72, verse 18. It says, Lord, you do wondrous things. Now, if you read this story, this is an amazing story because he's going to pray and he's going to ask God to bring breath back into this boy. Now, let me, let me close by talking about the opportunity that trials provide a wondrous God that does wondrous things. Now, can I remind you that our inequities of life are God's opportunity to do something wondrous? If it wasn't for trials, if it wasn't for problems, if it wasn't for difficulties in my life, I'd never see God be God. Because every once in a while, God steps up and really goes crazy. Now notice, notice the way this works. First of all, he demonstrates God's power. If you look at the, at the passage in this raising of the widow's son from the dead, there are basically two steps. First of all is human, human intercession. I, I got this great definition. The Holman Bible Dictionary says intercession is the act of intervening or mediating between different parties, particularly the act of praying to God on behalf of another person. He comes before God and he, he has this little baby there and he says to God, God, what are you doing? I want you to bring his soul back. I want you to bring birth back to this, boy, this baby. I'd say he's interceding, wouldn't you? Now, will you, will you turn in your Bibles? I know some of you don't do that, but will you turn in your Bibles for a few verses? Let's, let's look at a couple of verses real quick. Look at Matthew for a second. I want to go from verse to verse, and some of you are going to get tired and going to quit, but these are great verses that you need to see. Look at the book of Matthew. Matthew, if you would, chapter 21, verse 22. Matthew 21 and 22. Now look there real quick. Matthew 21, 22 says it this way. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, read the last part of it to me. Let's say it one more time. All right, let's look at John chapter 14. Look over a couple more chapters. John chapter 14, some of you are already tired and you're quitting. You're going to miss out. You're going to wish you knew where these verses were by the end of the sermon. John chapter 14, let's look at John 14 and verse number 13. The Bible says in John 4, 13, 14, 13, it says, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified, notice this, what? In the Son. Look at John chapter 16, verse 23. 
Look a couple of chapters over. John 16 and verse number 23. It says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Hey, is that a cool verse, yes or no? Look at James chapter 1. Some of you say, I ain't looking at no more verses. Go ahead. You don't want to be an obstinate Baptist. James chapter 1. Now, I got a purpose in all of this. James chapter 1. Look down to about verse number 6. James 1, 6. You got it? It says, and let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind of the and tossed. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. Now look at James chapter 5. Now I went through all of those verses to say this to you. Evidently, Elijah was a man that had faith. Because the common denominator of all these verses is the gift of faith. Yes or no? Come on, let me help you. Some Baptists can participate in the service. This is a yes. <laughs> this is a no. The common denominator, all these verses, is faith. How many want to bet Elijah had faith? Yes. There you go. Look at James chapter 5. Look down to verse number 16. Look at the last part of 16. Now, I got a purpose here. Now, stay with me. Don't give up on me. Some of you already gave up. Look at verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look at the next verse. You want to see a man that was righteous? You want to see a man that was effectual in his prayers? Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man of subject to like passions. That means, hey, listen to me. That means he put his bridges on one leg at a time. That means he's like us. Notice it says, he was subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. He prayed with perseverance, literally. This is the Greek, I'm translating literally. He prayed with great prayer. That's the way it reads. He prayed with great prayer. And notice that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't have great faith. Because I ain't willing to go out there right now and pray for the next three and a half hours it don't rain. How about you? Lord, don't let it rain out here for the next three and a half hours. Let's, let's say I'm feeling dicey. The next three and a half days. The next three and a half months. Three and a half years. Now, can I help you with this story? In the Bible, there's about six or seven people that were resuscitated 
I'm talking about people that died and came back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised a little girl named Tabitha from the dead. Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Peter did. Paul did. Man, there's, there's Elisha does. But up until this point, nobody in the history of the world ever died and came back to life. So Elijah's out there on thin ice. He comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I know this has never happened before. And Lord, I've never heard anybody ever doing this before. But Lord, listen to me. I want the breath of God, his soul to come back into his body. Amen. That's faith. Come on now. That's faith. I've never seen it done. I've never heard of it being done. But Lord, you're a great God that does wondrous things. Amen. And I'm asking you in faith, Amen. bring the breath of life. Bring his soul back, Lord. Wow. Man, is that cool, yes or no? Amen. Ought to get at least a couple of your hairs to stand up on the back of your leg. Now go back to the story. Look at what the Bible says. I see first of all here, human intercession. First, first Samuel, excuse me, first Kings 17. Let's turn over there real quick. Let's see what it says. It says, and notice, he says in verse number 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times. Now I don't know if you know this, but let me, I gotta speed this sermon up because some of you said, you're messing up my plans. Preach on. Preach on, Pastor. Did you know that Bible numbers have significance? 40 in the Bible is always testing. Seven is God's number. Six is man's number. Three is resurrection. Hmm. Three is resurrection. Now remember, he's never seen this done. He's never heard of it being done. And he goes down on top of this little boy, face to face, hand to hand, arm to arm, leg to leg, and he's praying. Dear God, bring back the breath. Return his soul. And he gets off, and he does it the second time. And he gets off, and he does it the third time. And the Bible says, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. I remember when I was in Bible college years ago, we had a young man in our school that was deaf. He was deaf. He was a nice kid. We didn't really know sign language well enough to really do much, but he could, he could talk. Now, he had a speech impediment because he couldn't hear. And when he talked, you had to listen to him because when he spoke, it wasn't very clear. One day, he got a phone call. 
They said, your daddy's on his deathbed. You need to come right now. He rushed to the hospital. And he began to pray. Audibly. In that voice. And finally, he just cried out to the Lord. He said, oh, God, please, please don't let my daddy die. His heart started beating. There's some you say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, he did. He did. You see, it demonstrates God's power. I got to quit. Let me show you the last part. And Elijah took the child. He brought him out of the chamber into the house. He delivered him into his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Now, can I help with something? You know what the average Baptist preacher would have done? When you apologize for being nasty to me, I'm going to give your boy back to you. You doubted that I was a man of God. Bless God. We're going to show you who's the man. Come on, would you not think that way? I don't see him getting mad at her. I don't see her getting angry with her. I don't see him putting her down. I don't see her saying anything mean to her at all. He said, see, your son lives. And look what she says. Look what she says. She says, and the woman said to Elijah, now by this, not by two years of the oil never running out, not by two years of the flour barrel never diminishing, not by the goodness of God for the last two years, but by this. I know that you're a man of God, and I know that your word is truth. You say, Pastor, what do you think happened to that gal? <laughs> I think she was a convert. I think she stopped following Baal. I think she stopped following Asherah. I think she stopped following Dagon. And she says, I know the God that lives. It's not my God. It's Elijah's God. Amen. Mama, do you need a miracle? First part of that's human intercession. Second part of that's divine intervention. When I do my part, God does his part. Amen. You say, well, pastor, I've been in a similar situation. God didn't hear my prayer. Can I help you some? Listen to me. Be careful where you put your ladder. Don't put your ladder on the problem or the situation, put your ladder on God. When you start with him, it makes it make sense. When you start with your problem, it never makes sense. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of things that happen I have no idea. But I do know this, I have a wondrous God.
that can do wondrous things. Yes. Mommy, you need a miracle? I know the one that can give it to you. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Heavenly Father.